Well, I want you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Jonah. It's only one little page, and so it can be hard to find. So for some of you, maybe the best thing to do is turn to the table of contents right in the very beginning and just look in the table of contents and find the book of Jonah. There's nothing evil or wicked in looking in the table of contents. I had to do a whole sermon on, on just the table of contents. You see, all of us at one time or another couldn't find certain books of the Bible, all of us. In fact, some of you have walked with the Lord a long time, and right now you're going, where's the book of Jonah? I am not going to the table of contents. I'm telling you, I'm going to find that little tiny book if I, you know. It's okay to look at the table of contents and the evil in that. It's only 48 verses. Takes you, if you're a good reader, it only take you 10 minutes to read the whole, whole thing. If you're not a good reader, it might take you about 20. It's the easiest of all of the books of the Bible to understand. It's a beautiful, beautiful little book. But before I get into it, I want to tell you what's happening here at Big Valley Grace. On September 2nd, we're going to do something we've never done. We're calling it With One Heart. Uh, Saturday night, there's going to be no service down here. Sunday morning, 9 o'clock, no service. There's going to be no service here at 11 o'clock. There'll be no venue we're not going to meet here. We have rented out John Thurman Field, and on September 2nd, Sunday, just, just, uh, September 2nd, which is Labor Day, we're going to have one big gathering together. We're going to bring Saturday night, Sunday, all of the venue and all that together for one big gathering. There'll be food and all kinds of stuff. Obviously, it's, uh, we've been working on this for a long time, and you'll hear more about it, but you need to mark that down. And we're going to send out letters, flyers, you'll hear us talking about it, but I guarantee you, and I don't know who it'll be, probably Rob, it'll be the second. Hours and hours we've talked about it, promoted it, sent out stuff. And Rob, you'll show up here on Sunday morning, huh? Hey, 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 where's everybody? Oh, yeah. There's always somebody. Oh, yeah, I forgot about all that. Anyway, put that down. We're kind of excited about it. It's going to be, it's going to be special. Well, we're in a series here at Big Valley Grace called Unlikely People, where we're looking at some of the lives of our, our Old Testament brothers. Two weeks ago, we looked at the life of Samson, and a, and a little mini revival broke out here. It was unbelievable what God did that weekend. I'm still getting emails and phone calls from how God spoke to our, our guys, especially. We... Uh, we saw three things in the life of Samson that weakened his life. His, his desires were out of control. His anger was out of control. And he was really careless with his commitment to God. And these three things will do the same thing to your life. When your desires are out of control, it weakens your life. When your anger is out of control, it weakens your life. And when you're careless with your commitment to Jesus Christ, it, it weakens your, your life. Last week, we looked at the life of, of Noah. He was the guy that built the ark. In Genesis chapter 6, it says this about Noah. Noah pleased the Lord. Noah pleased the Lord. And we looked at what it was that, that Noah did that pleased the Lord. Because whatever those things are, we ought to be doing those things. Don't we all want God to you know, look down on our lives and go, man, I'm, I'm pleased with that person. I mean, don't we all want to get to heaven and hear those words, well done, good and faithful, you know, servant? Well, today we're going to look at the life of Jonah. He was the guy that got himself into one of the weirdest, craziest predicaments of, of all time. He was swallowed by a big fish. And this is the best we could do right here. That was... <laughs> <laughs> you know, each week we've had some prop up here. This was it this week. That, that, that was it. And uh, there was a little guy in there, but we think that the fish swallowed him. <laughs> he figured he'd just go right along with the whole, with the whole gig. <laughs> the Bible says this in Jonah chapter 1. At the Lord's command, a large fish swallowed Jonah. And he was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Throughout the series, my son Cade has, has been here each week. He was here to hear the, about the life of Samson. He was here last week to hear about the life of Noah. And 
He wants to be here today to hear about the life of, of Jonah. And let me encourage you, if you have children, you need to take these notes home and, and tell your kids about these great, great characters. There's a reason why God had their lives recorded for us. It wasn't just so we go, ooh, isn't that neat or weird or whatever. But it's that we could learn from them. And um, I, I want to kind of wrestle around with the, the why. Why did God do this? What did Jonah do that got himself into this mess? What's the, what's the story of, of Jonah? And like the story of Samson and Noah, you know, I, I'm just, you know, I'm gonna do my best to make it really simple so that you guys all can learn f- from it. Well, unfortunately, the story of Jonah is often overshadowed by the big fish. It's like you can't separate the two. They're like a couple. They're like, um, you know, one of history's famous couples like Romeo and Juliet, Bonnie and Clyde, Batman and Robin, Jonah and the big fish, right? <laughs> Mention Jonah and, and you mentioned the, the, the big fish. But this isn't a story about a fish. It's not even a story about Jonah, really. It's a story about God. It's a story about what really matters to, to God. And we're going to learn a lot from it. And what I'm going to do is this. I want you to imagine you're down at the Gallo Performing Arts Center, okay? And... Um, you know, you're in one of those comfy chairs. I hear they're comfy. I've, I've never been there, but I know a lot of people who have. And just imagine you're sitting in one of those great seats and the curtain's closed. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to lay this out in, in five acts, okay? You've come to a five-act play. I want you to know that though it only takes 10 or 20 minutes to read this, 48 little verses, one page basically, it is loaded with incredible information that I could never cover in one message. And so I've chosen five things. I've made this into a, a, a five-act play. And I think we're going to learn a, a lot. So just sit back a little bit here and, and imagine, okay, act one, whoosh, the curtain just opened. And act one is Jonah is given a job to do. Go to Nineveh. In chapter one, verse one, it says, the Lord gave this message to Jonah. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh, announce my judgment against it because I've seen how wicked its people are. That's crystal clear, isn't it? God says, Jonah, I've got something I need for you to do. I want you to get up, forget about whatever it is you're doing right now, and I want you to go to this city, this city called Nineveh. It's, it, it's, a, it, it's a full of wickedness and sin, and I want you to go there, and I want you to tell people about me. Nineveh at the time was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. It was the largest, wealthiest, most influential, most powerful city in the world at this time. They say that there were somewhere between five and 600,000 people that lived there. Now, when you get to the end of Jonah, Jonah chapter 4, it says that there were 120,000 people that lived there. That, that was probably only the adults. And when you add in everybody, it was somewhere around five, 600,000 people that lived in this city. It was located where Iraq is located today. They actually found the the remains of the city of Nineveh. And it's in Iraq today. But it was also a city of great sin. It was a city of great rebellion, uh, wickedness. And because God loves people so much, God said to Jonah, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. I don't like the way those people are acting. They're apart from me. And I love people, Jonah. I want you to go and tell these people about me. I want you to tell them that they need to repent of their sin and turn their lives back over to me. You've got that job, Jonah. When you read the story of of Jonah, you can't miss how much God loves people. You, You can't miss it. The Apostle Peter said this in 2 Peter chapter 3. He said, he, that's God, does not want anyone to be destroyed. But he wants everybody to repent. You see, God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's the heart of God. And you see the heart of God in the story of Jonah. There There was this city. They were human beings. And they were apart from God. 
And God doesn't want anybody to die apart from him. And so he picks this guy, he picks this man named Jonah, and he says, Jonah, I want you to go. I want you to tell them uh, 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 about me. God gives Jonah this incredible job of going to this sinful city and telling them about him. God wants Jonah, if you will, to be one of his ambassadors, which, by the way, if you name the name of Jesus, God gave you the, the same job. Listen to what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He said, so we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. One version says, so... We have been sent to speak for Christ as if God is calling to you through us, which is exactly what was happening in Jonah. Jonah was sent to this town, this city called Nineveh, to speak for him, to be his ambassador. Jesus himself said this in Acts chapter 1. He said, but you will receive power, Christian, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. You see, God says, listen, I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit. I'm going to, I'm going to put my Holy Spirit in you so that you can go and have the power and the courage to make the best apple pie on planet Earth. God gives us his spirit for the purpose, or at least one of the purposes, of, of being Jonah. That we would be witnesses. Just like Jonah. We're called to be his ambassadors, you see. We're called to be his witnesses. Every one of us has been given the same job that Jonah was given. God wants us to go, and he wants us to use our one lives to tell other people about Jesus. Now, Paul lays this out in a really neat way in Romans chapter 10. It says this, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Jonah, go to Nineveh. Tell them about me because if they call on me, they'll be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? That's a good question. And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? Enter Jonah. Enter us. Ambassadors, right? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That's why the scripture says how beautiful are the feet of the messenger who brings good news. Jonah was supposed to be the person with beautiful feet. God says, Jonah, I want you to have beautiful feet. You go to Nineveh and you tell them about me. You tell them how much I love them and how much I care about them. You tell them to repent of their sin. Well, we see that same thing playing itself out today in the New Testament in our own personal lives, don't we? God calls us to be his ambassadors. God gives us his Holy Spirit that we would be his witnesses. How can people call on the name of the Lord if they've never heard about the name of the Lord, right? Everybody who names the name of Jesus Christ has the responsibility of sharing the gospel with somebody else. I mean, how did you hear about Jesus? Somebody told you, right? It may have been me. It may have been your mom, your dad, your aunt, uncle, a grandma, a grandpa. It might have been one of your children. It could have been Billy Graham on the radio. I don't know how you heard, but you heard it from somebody. And when you responded to that and you invited Jesus Christ into your life, you then now have the responsibility of doing whatever that person did. You have the responsibility of telling others about, about Jesus a number of years ago, it was, it was Jonah's job. Paul said this in Ephesians chapter 2. He said, we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can go do the good things he planned for us long ago. And one of those good things that, that God planned long ago was that you would go and tell others. It's what he had planned for Jonah and his life. Now, let me quickly make this observation, okay? One of the things that you notice in this story is that God sees everything that's going on, okay? He's not blind. He saw all the sin in Nineveh. God sees all the sins that are going on in the United States of America. And some of you are going, that's right, you, you preach it, Pastor. 
God sees all the sin that's going on in the state of California. Yeah, you, you preach it. God sees all the sin that's going on in Santa Sauce County. God sees all the sin that's going on in Modesto. Hey, hey, hang on there, preacher. I know where you're going. God sees all the sin that's going on in your home. God sees all the sin that's going on in your life. Much easier to talk about the sins of our nation, isn't it? Anything but thinking about your own sin, right? Now, God does see the sins of our nation, our state, our county, our city. But make no mistake about it, he sees the sin in your own home. He sees the sin in your own personal life. God's not blind. He saw the sin of Nineveh, the people of Nineveh. And he sees my sin. He sees your sin. And I know that right now some of you sense that God is calling you to repent of your sin. Probably when Pastor John had you just have this quiet moment, some of you were sensing. Man, you couldn't really sing. You really didn't want to be here, you know. Your wife drug you here. Your husband drug you here. Your parents drug you here, you know. You, don't, you can see skid marks all the way in. <laughs> I don't want to be here, you know. The last place you want to be is around God, you know. And When you just have sin in your life, right? See, God loves people. He loves you. He cares deeply about you. He sees all the sin that's going on. So, Imagine you're at the gallow. Screen just shut. Act one ends, okay? Jonah was given a job to do, go to Nineveh. Okay, this was God's will for Jonah. But God doesn't force anybody to do anything. He, he gives you a, a free will. You can choose to follow God's plan or you can choose to re reject God's plan. And that's now gonna bring us to the second act. Okay, people are in the back, very quickly changing the sets and all that, okay. Slide opens, act two. Jonah decides not to do the job. He runs from God. Verse three says, but Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. One version says, but Jonah ran from the Lord. Beloved, God made his will crystal clear, didn't he? Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. That's where I want you to go. That's what I want you to do. And by the way, Nineveh was, was east. And Jonah hears and does this. He goes in the opposite direction. He just blows God off. Now, it's not open rebellion. God, I hate you, you know. I'm not going to live for you. I want you out of my life, you know. It's a very polite, thank you, God, but, but no thank you. It's very polite. It, it, it's, a, it's a polite, you know, I appreciate your thoughts, God. But I think I'm just going to do it my way. It's a polite God. I, I really don't need you right now, but when I do, hey, I'll, I'll give you a call. Rarely does anyone, you know, you know, blaspheme God, cuss God out. I ain't doing it, God. We don't do that, do we? We're always very polite in how we reject God. Right, Christian? At least most, most Christians. We know enough about God not to be a total jerk, not to cuss him out. No, you lose. No, no, no. We're, we're, we're very polite about it. And this is what's happening with Jonah. I mean, he's not cussing God out. He's not saying he doesn't believe in God. He's just very politely sinning. He's just very politely running from God. Now listen to me. It doesn't matter whether you're a total jerk in your rejection of God and his will for your life or you're politely rejecting God and his will for your life. He doesn't like it. 
He doesn't care whether you're a jerk or not. He doesn't care whether you're polite about it or not. Rejection is rejection. Disobedience is disobedience. And whenever you reject God and his will, however you do it, politely or whatever, it gets you into trouble. And we'll see that in a, in a minute. Now, as I was reading this, I thought about all the different ways we, you know, politely try to run from God. Okay, these are ways we try to ignore what God's will is for our lives. Number one, some people try to politely run from God's will through recreation. They keep their lives busy, you know, whatever it might be, you know, and their hobbies. They know what God's will is for their life. They know what, what God wants. And they're not going to be a jerk about it. So what they do is they let their recreations and their hobbies just kind of get in the way. I really, I, I know I'm supposed to use my life for God's purposes. I know I'm supposed to serve somewhere. But, you know, after all, I'm, I've got my hobbies. I've got my stuff I do. Very polite. Some people try to politely run from God's will through their careers. They keep so busy making a buck that they don't really have time for God. I can't tell you how many times I've had someone say, hey, listen, man, I sure would love to play in the band, sing in the band, sing in the choir, be an usher, be a greeter, work with children, whatever it is, work in the sound booth. But man, right now, you know, I'm just busy. You know, as soon as I get my job up and running, you know, as soon as I got that thing going, then I'm all over it like a cheap suit. You know, you count me in, Pastor. I mean, no one's going to say, hey, forget God. I ain't going to do what God wants me to do. No one does that. So we, it's our careers, you see. Just busy building my career, my business, whatever. Some people try to politely run from God through their families. They use their families as an excuse for not following God and his will for their lives. Listen to what? Jesus said in Luke chapter 14, he said, if you want to be one of my disciples, here's part of the job description. You must hate everyone else by comparison. Your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers and sisters. Yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. Now, Jesus isn't saying you're not supposed to love your spouse or your kids or your parents. The, the fifth commandment of the 10 was, you know, honor your father and mother. What he's saying is, is this. If um, I tell you to do something, if you know what my will is, and your mama comes along and says, no, 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 I don't want you doing that. I trump your mother. I trump your father. I trump your parents. I was the youth guy around here a long time and took hundreds and uh, thousands of kids down to Mexico. And, and every year, I know it was God's will for this child to go to Mexico. I know it. But mama said no, because mama was afraid that maybe something bad might happen to their little angel. And so here's this kid in this weird quandary. Jesus says, let me tell you something. I trump everybody. Everybody. Don't, well, you know, I'm, I'm loving my family. I'm going out and doing stuff with my family. I'm doing all these great things with my family. Hey, that, that's all fantastic. But when you know what God's will is, when you know it, and you don't do it, I don't care how politely you do it, I don't care what the excuse is, it's still rejection of God's will. And God doesn't like it. Why do, why do we do it? Why do people do it? Let me give you a couple of thoughts here. Number one, pride. We, we, we think we know more than God. I think this was what was running through Jonah's mind. You know, God, God just doesn't know what he's doing. I mean, the people of Nineveh, they're just wicked. They're evil. They're, they're, they're not even Jewish. He just doesn't know what he's doing. And so I'm just going to go the other way because why would I go to those crummy, rotten, you know, Gentiles? He's our God. 
Why would I do that? He didn't know what he's doing. We think we know what's best for our lives. We don't want anybody else telling us what to do. But because it's God and we don't want to be a total jerk, we politely do whatever we have to do not to do it, you see. I think a second reason is fear. We're afraid of what God might say. We're afraid of what might happen to us. We're afraid that God might not have our best interests at heart. We're afraid of what, you know, he might ask us to do. I mean, he might ask us to go to Nineveh. He might ask us to go across the street and talk with our neighbor. I'm busy. I gotta get my lawn mowed, you know. I mean, I don't wanna be the loser in the neighborhood. And God's saying, put the lawnmower down and go across the street. Oh, I'm, I, oh I will. I gotta, I'm, I'm hedging now. I'll get there. You're, you're not saying you don't believe in God. You're not cussing him out. You're just very politely saying, God, I'm not going to do it. I, I'm just not going to follow you. But because, you know, it's God and we don't want to be a total jerk, we just politely do something different. So, so act one is God gives Jonah a job to do, go to Nineveh. Act two was Jonah blows God off and he runs from God. Okay, curtain closes. Whew, get a bag of popcorn or whatever they serve down there. This leads us to, to act three. The curtain's open. Jonah pays a, a price. He, his disobedience brought consequences. Verse three, once again, but Jonah got up and he went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. So instead of heading east to Nineveh, he's now on a boat taking a cruise in the Mediterranean. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Verse 17 says, Now the Lord had arranged for fish, a great fish, to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Beloved, whenever you make the choice to run from God, even, you know, politely run from God, it always comes with a consequence. There's always a moment when things will start to fall apart. Always. It may not happen right away. I think there was a moment, you know, Jonah got his ticket and got on board the boat and the boat started to sail out of the harbor and things were going great and he got involved in a shuffleboard game, you know, the, hey, this is great. Hey, what are some of the activities on board the boat, you know? <laughs> things, were things were good. Some of you, running from God, right? Things have been good. I mean, a day, a week's gone by, a month's gone by, a year's gone by, a decade's gone by, right? <laughs> you think God keeps time like you keep time, and he doesn't. There will come a moment when the storms will come. Paul said this in Galatians chapter 6, don't be fooled. Some of your Bibles say, don't be deceived because a lot of people are deceived. Some of you might be here today and you're deceived. You cannot cheat God. People harvest only what they plant. If they plant to satisfy their sinful selves, their sinful selves will bring them to ruin. But if they plant to please the Spirit, they will receive eternal life from the Spirit. And this is exactly what's happening in the life of Jonah. He's reaping what he sowed. God said, Jonah, you made the choice to run from me. You sowed disobedience. And now you're going to reap the consequence. Now his life didn't fall apart immediately. As I said, I, I, there was this season where I'm sure everything was really great on board the boat. And, you know, the band was over there playing and, He's bellied up to the bar, had one of them fancy drinks that you might get on a cruise ship. Once, I have never been on one. I, I, I get seasick in an ounce a second. Woo-hoo! I got away. I ain't going to that crummy city. This is great. Look at this blue water. Wow. Mediterranean's beautiful. I should have done one of these cruises a long time ago. Uh, listen, whenever somebody's sitting in my office and they say, how did I get myself into this mess? And by the way, that's something I hear often. 
99.9% of the time, you know how people get themselves into the weird predicaments they get themselves into, the messes they get themselves into? Because they made the same choice that Jonah made. I'm not going to follow God. I'm not going to follow his principles in the area of finances. I'm not going to follow God's principles in the area of marriage. I'm not going to follow God's principles in the area of parenting. I'm not going to follow God's principles in the area of, of giving. I'm not going to follow God's principles about coming to church and worshiping the Lord. And that's how they get themselves into the messes they get themselves into. It may take me a while to bore down on that moment, but I'll get there. There's a reason why we get ourselves into the messes we get ourselves into. And you can usually trace it back to when you decided, I'm not going to follow God's plan for my life. And you were polite about it. And you had everybody fooled. I mean, if you're cussing God out, we all know, hey, that ain't good. But when you have this excuse, this polite excuse, well, we just, you know, okay, I, how do I know? But you knew what God was calling you to do. You know. Whatever, whatever, whatever that thing was. Here's the point. When, when, when you run from God, you're only headed for trouble. Sometimes it's immediate, sometimes it's delayed, but you can count on it. L look at verse three real, real quick. Verse three says, Jonah bought a ticket. One version says, he paid his fare. Now I want you to listen to me carefully. Just listen. Every time you run from God, there's a cost. There's a price tag. There's a fare to pay. Always. And the price is always too high. That fare, the price that Jonah paid for that ticket, cost him way more than he ever dreamed of. <laughs> now, you and I aren't going to end up in the belly of a huge fish, but we pay a price through messed up emotions, right? We pay for disobedience through worry. We pay for disobedience through guilt and fear and bitterness and boredom. We pay for disobedience through depression. We, we pay for it, you know, uh, uh, physically with ulcers and heart attacks and illnesses and problems and stress illnesses. We pay for it spiritually, don't we? We pay for it with lack of peace of mind, lack of joy, lack of power in our lives. All these things are what it costs when you decide to ignore God, politely, <laughs> or not so politely. There's a, a fare to pay, just like Jonah. Cost him something. Jesus said this in John chapter 10, he said the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. All the devil and the demon want to do is come into your life and steal the joy, steal the hope, Steal all, the, all that God has planned for you. They want to come and kill your joy and, and, and kill the, the plan that God has for you. They want to come and destroy your life, destroy your marriage. But Jesus said, my purpose is to give you a rich and satisfying life. And one of the reasons why so many people don't experience that rich and satisfying life is because they pull a Jonah. They, they, they've just politely said, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. God, I know what your word says. I know what's right. But I'm just not going to do it. And so I'm going to find these other little things and I'll do them and I'll be heading one direction while you want me to go the other. Now let me also just quickly say this. Not only does your disobedience affect your life, but it also affects the lives of other people. You see, while Jonah was on that boat, politely running from God, the storm got worse and the ship was about to crash. And Jonah says this in verse 12. He said, throw me into the sea and it'll be calm again. I know that this terrible storm is my fault. Beloved, when you choose to disobey God, you choose to run from God, not only do you pay the price, not only do you suffer, but so do others. Your spouse, your kids, your grandkids, your parents, your friends, or whoever. Other people suffer too. Innocent people often get hurt because of your sin. Here were a bunch of people, they got on board that same ship. They thought they were gonna have a great cruise. 
And all of a sudden, man, the storm is crazy. Why? Because of Jonah. Because of Jonah's disobedience. Because of his disobedience, all these people are now suffering. Innocent people often get hurt because of your sin. Think about it. When somebody gets drunk, when somebody makes a decision to go to a bar or whatever and they get drunk and now they're all inebriated and they get behind the wheel of a car and they're driving and then they hit, you know, just an innocent car driving down the road and four people die, oops! One guy's sin, one guy's disobedience and guess what, now four lives are gone and families are all distraught and messed up. It's just like Jonah on that boat, you see that? There's no such thing as, you know, your little sin is just between you and God. It doesn't work that way. Your life impacts me, and how I live my life impacts you. We're, we're, we're connected in ways I don't even think we, we really fully understand. When other people don't follow God's will or, or plan for their lives, they commit a crime, they do drugs or abuse alcohol, who pays the bill for all that? You think prisons just pop up? Who feeds all those prisoners? The taxpayers. We all have to bear the burden for people's sin and their disobedience, all of us. Little children, innocent children, suffer when moms and dads are, are running from God. Well, the sailors finally do throw Jonah overboard, and we all know what happens, right? He was swallowed by this big fish. Running from God always leads to that crummy place, always. Which is often what it takes, huh? It often takes getting to that crummy place. And that leads us to Act 4. Jonah realizes his sin and he, he calls out to God. Chapter two, verse one says, then Jonah prayed to the Lord from inside this fish. Man, you got this picture? They throw him overboard and he's water, you know, bobbing up and down in the Mediterranean, you know. And all of a sudden this big fish comes, sucks him in. You know, all the acid from the stomachs, just bleaching out his skin, he's all pasty white. You know, other limbs of fishes and octopi are in there. Seaweed, it says, is wrapped around his head. Stinks. Oh. I mean, th th this is a bad, bad, bad gig. And what happens when we get there in our lives? We, we pull the Jonah, don't we? Oh, God! <laughs> this stinks! <laughs> Literally. I'm so sorry, God. The bottom fell out of Jonah's life, so he starts praying. He calls out to God. Let me ask you a question. Some of you have been politely, maybe not so politely, running from God. Okay. My question is, what is it going to take for you to call out to God? See, I don't think it's a coincidence that you're here today. I don't. God brought you here for a purpose that you would hear this message right now. What's it gonna take in your life? What's it gonna take to get you to surrender to God's will? A, a tragedy? I see that happen all the time here. A crisis? How about a moral failure? That happens all the time here. Moral failure happens and, oh God, I'm so sorry. Some illness, a loss in your family. How about the loss of your freedom? I read this week about a guy, and he was a Christian that had politely kind of rejected, you know, the, the Lord's will in his life. Well, he ended up doing some pretty crummy things that landed him in prison. And while in prison, he began to read the Bible again. In fact, he reads it every day, and he and God are really close now. But it took the loss of his freedom for him to finally wake up. What's it going to take? 
It's an important question because God cares so much about you that he'll use whatever it takes to get your attention. He cares so deeply about you that whatever it takes. Tragedy, loss, ending up in the belly of a fish. He cares. He wants you to experience this incredible life that he's got for you. And if you're choosing to politely ignore him or just outright rebellion, I don't even believe in God. He's going to cause things to happen that get you to look up. God allowed a huge fish to swallow Jonah because that's what it took. And it's at this moment that, that Jonah realizes his foolishness and he repents. He says, God, I, I'm, just, I'm just stupid. I can't run from you. I'm so sorry, God. I'm sorry. Beloved, there's no place that you can run that God isn't there. And Jonah realizes this, and so he repents of his sin. And what does God do in response to his repentance? Everybody look at Jonah chapter 2, verse 10. Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out of his mouth onto a beach. I want you to know, that's just a beautiful verse. Jonah says, God, I'm sorry. Man, I really messed this thing up. Forgive me. And then God responds. So could you imagine, I, I thought about this, you know, imagine you're on the beach, got your family, you got one of those little poles up, and, you know, maybe you're hitting a little ball back and forth, maybe you're out there floating on the thing, and all of a sudden this fish pops its head up and, and you know, out shoots a guy. <laughs> and the guy gets up, and he's all crummy and stinky. And, I mean, how weird would that have been if you had been standing around when that happened? <laughs> You know, when, I'm, when I go through these things, I, my mind goes nuts. I, I, think, I think about stuff like that. I think about, wow, that must have been weird. <laughs> Beloved, God always responds. Listen to me. He always responds when you call out to him. Always. The Bible says this in 1 John chapter 1. If we say that we have no sin, if we say that we haven't politely blown God off, we're just, we're just liars, okay? We're fooling ourselves. But if we confess our sins like, like Jonah did, God will forgive us of our sins because we can trust God to do what is right. He'll cleanse us from all the wrongs we've done. He'll spit us up on the beach again, you see. I, I don't care how long you have been walking away from God. I don't care how long you've been running away from God. God's always been right behind you. And repentance is simply this. You recognize I'm going in the opposite direction and you turn back around and you look into the eyes of Jesus Christ. You see, repentance is just simply turning from going this direction, and it could be good things you're doing, and you turn around, and you now just look at the face of Jesus again. And that is a face full of compassion and love and mercy, forgiveness. You see, when you turn around, you don't have to go, oh, man, you know, I've been walking and running from God so long, I don't know where he is. You know, i got to go on a search for him. Maybe he's in a cave. Maybe he's under a, a bush. I, I don't know. Maybe he's in, you know, Portland. You, know, I, I, you, you, you don't have to do that. He, he's right there. Repentance is turning and simply looking at Jesus again. That's what repentance is. Jonah had repented, and God responded. And for some of you, today is a day you need to repent of your sin, as polite as it might have been. Today would be a great day to tell your spouse, you know what, I, I think I've been running from God. I think I've been pulling a Jonah. Today might be the day you look at your parents and say, I've been pulling a Jonah. Today's the day you may look at your kids and say, I've been pulling a Jonah. I've been polite about it. I mean, you know, you haven't heard your dad, you know, blaspheme the Lord, but I certainly have not followed him in some areas of my life. Today could be an incredible day. So act one was God gives Jonah a job to do, go to Nineveh. Act two was Jonah blows God off and he ran from God. Act three was he paid a price for running from God. Act four was Jonah repented of his sin. And, and now we get to the final act. The curtain's open. We get to act five. 
Jonah is restored, and God gives him a second chance. Chapter three says, then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Woohoo! Just gives me goosebumps. God spoke to Jonah a second time. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. This is what we call the grace of God. The grace of God says no matter what you've done, if you'll repent, you can start over. God says no matter what you've done, I'll give you a second chance. I'll speak to you again if you'll repent of your sin. Here's what the story of Jonah says to me. As long as you're alive, God never writes you off. Never. Some of you are here and you're thinking, man, I, I've been running from God so long, God wouldn't want anything to do with me. That's not true. God cares deeply about you. And as long as you're alive, God never writes you off. As long as you're alive, there's always the hope of a second chance. Some of you are here right now and God is waiting to give you a second chance, just like he did Jonah. And all you have to do is repent. That's all. All you got to do is do what Jonah did. One of the things you notice when you read through the Bible is this, is that God loves to use people who failed, people who made mistakes, people who blew it big time, unlikely people. You see, the, the, the God of the Bible is the God of the second chance, and that's what the story of Jonah is all about. Jonah blew it royally. He just flubbed it up, but God gave him another chance. And by the way, the result of that second chance was unbelievable. The whole city of Nineveh, it says, gave their life over to God. The whole city repented. Maybe 500,000 people gave their life to Christ, and it impacted that region even to this day. When those people in that region of Iraq gave their life to Christ, gave their life to God, repented, it reverberates even to this day there. This is a guy who blew it royally. This is a guy who really flubbed it up. God loves to use people who failed, people like Jonah or Samson and Noah, people like David who we'll look at next week, people like Moses and Rahab, people like the Apostle Mark or Peter, people like Rick Countryman. God loves to take ordinary, average, unlikely people and he does extraordinary things with them. Listen to me carefully. God doesn't want you to blow your life, okay? He has an incredible purpose for your life. He created you for it. And the cost of ignoring him or running from him is too high. You can't afford to run from God, and neither can I. The cost is too high. Some of you have been paying the price for years. You've been paying the price in your personal life, haven't you? You've been paying the, the price in your marriage, your family. You've been paying the price in your you know, finances. The emotional and mental and spiritual strain is getting to you. And today that can stop. In all of our gatherings, last night and this morning and all of that, we've just seen God show up in people's lives. And you know what? They walked out of here, spit up on the beach. And that's the great news of the God that we serve, the God that we were singing to, the God that we give to, is no matter what you have done, no matter what you know, predicament you've gotten yourself into, he can spit you up onto the beach and talk to you again. Listen, just because you've failed in the past, it doesn't relieve you of your responsibility today. You're still alive. If God wanted to take you home, he'd take you home. Just because you've made a mess of the past doesn't relieve you of your responsibility today. God's got a plan for your life today. And today needs to be the day where you just say, you know what, God, I, I've blown it. I've been polite about it. I've been so polite about it, my own family really didn't know. My own kids didn't really even see it, but I knew. And I've allowed other things to be more important than you. I want you to close your eyes for, for just a moment, okay? Just close your eyes. I gotta believe that the Lord was, was speaking to some of you. And in just a moment, Pastor Chad's gonna pray and we'll be done. And 
I know God's not done. And I sure hope that some of you wouldn't dig in your heels and be prideful and say, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to change. I'm, I'm not going to Nineveh. <laughs> I'm not going to follow the Lord. Some of you will. But I believe right now it could be a great time for some of you to say, God, I know that there are some things. I'm, I'm just, I'm not in your will. And I'm sorry, God, forgive me. I want to make this a new day. I want to hear your voice again. Here's my life, God, take it. Please spit me up on that beach. I want to hear from you again. And if that's you, make sure you tell somebody today. Maybe tell your, your spouse, tell your kids, tell your parents, tell your grandkids, tell your grandpa. Tell somebody in your small group this week, hey, I allowed God to really work in my life and he spit me up on the beach. <laughs> Maybe you're here and you need someone to pray for you. That's what the altar room is all about. The spiritual leaders of the church are there. and Man, if you'd like for us to pray with you, man, come on in. Every guy and gal in that room has been in the belly of the fish at one time or another. All of us. We understand. Maybe you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. Go into the altar room and say, hey, I'm here. I, I've never even walked with God. I, I've just blatantly been an unbeliever, and I know that God's real. God revealed that to me today. Go into that altar room and say, hey, I need to know the Lord. Take advantage of it, okay?